my name's Karen O'Connor and you're listening to Menopause, Marriage and Motherhood, the podcast that looks at all aspects of women's lives from hormones and health to relationships, finance and social justice issues. You can connect with me on social media at at karen If you enjoy this podcast or podcast in general and you've been wondering whether you should start your own podcast, head on over to speakuppodcasting.com to find out just how easy and cheap it is to start podcasting. Now let's get right into it. Good morning and welcome. I am here today with Dr. Monica Williams. Is it Williams Riley or just Williams? I just know, I was just looking at your name then. So that's the long story. That's the story of carrying an old name along with my husband's new wonderful name. By official Dr. Ness, I am Williams. This would call me. That's why they call me Dr. Monica because it's way too many names. <laughs> I've got to say, I am so excited to talk to you. You reached out to me at this point where I wanted to look at racism and sexism and gender discrimination around healthcare is something that has impacted me personally and I'm really passionate about, as well as menopause and all the rest of it. And so that combination that you've got of the women's healthcare and the added thing of women of color in there is just mind-blowing to me because (laughs) I'm discriminated against heaven knows how you're discriminated against and I just wanted to talk about but also the different experiences as well culturally what are the different experiences that you have around menopause and everything and I feel like I'm being really patronizing here and I'm going to apologize if I am because I don't mean to be. No, not at all, not at all. This is really, I'm I'm excited about having an open conversation with let's put all of the the fears aside because that's that's really what gets in the way of a really great conversation is not a fear of saying Mm -hmm. the wrong thing. Let's put all that aside and just really talk honestly and uh, and and agree not to be offended. My, my pastor always says it's an, uh, a choice to be offended. So we're going to agree not to be offended and we're going to have a really great, honest conversation. Thank you. Thank you. That is lovely. Okay, let's start off, first of all, with what you're passionate about. I think that's a good starting point. Wonderful. I appreciate. First, I need to say thank you um, for the uh, opportunity to come in and talk to you and hang out with you. I've uh, watched your podcast and really enjoyed your coverage of topics. And so I'm excited about this conversation today. I am Dr. Monica. They call me Dr. Monica because I said before, my name is very long. But actually, I have been practicing for almost 27 years now, which I don't believe. I can't believe I've been around on this earth even that long. But as I practice medicine in I'm a board certified family medicine physician and I specialize in functional medicine. And as I practice medicine, I have over the years developed an earnest passion. And it's probably the reason why I got into medicine for really educating people about how to make a change in their lives, how to really be different, how to not um, have the medical society really control the outcome 
of our health and to really understand that the choices that we make are really the determination of how we live our lives, the fulfillment that we live our lives in. And so medicine is a wonderful thing because it gives us treatment and gives us the possibilities of getting over hurdles that we may have, but it has not proven to show that it actually will prevent us from dying, right? And it won't prevent us from having quality of life issues, which is what we hoped that was going to happen over the years. So I've committed my life to, and my practice to making sure people understand how the control that they have is possible, how that um, women and men learn how to age and grow gracefully, how young people can go through the stages without really knowing um, all the information that it takes to really get healthy and to stay healthy. Because not everybody's sick. Some people want to just stay healthy. So part of that stage is menopause. And as I myself have gotten to the age of menopause, it has become even more uh, important to me, more personal to me, that women learn the truth about menopause, that it's not a disease, that it is not to be suffered, and that we all deserve to live a quality life even as we age. To age gracefully is not just a saying, it is a fact. I actually, being on the far side of menopause now, I'm actually like, it's a blessing as far as I'm concerned <laughs> because yeah. I just feel yes. better than I did. That's one of the things that I want to dispel in this podcast is the issues around that. Oh, I, I feel like there is this belief that menopause signals the end. This is the beginning of the end. <laughs> Your useful life is over. <laughs> It's the beginning of the beginning, as far as I'm concerned. It is the beginning of the beginning because now I think I was talking to a client today and just really talking about how I don't have to get up and worry about has somebody eaten breakfast and I don't have to, to worry about has somebody gone been put to bed and homework done. Like this is the time when I actually get to think about me first. And in doing that, then the, everyone around me, my husband, my, my grown children, they get to benefit from the best me. And that's the thing. Menopause is not a disease. It is a stage of life that should be celebrated. I agree with you 100%. Because I was reading on your website before that women of color go through menopause earlier or it can arrive earlier than, than white people. Is that right? Why? Okay. Lots of questions. Why is that? So it sounds confusing, right? It sounds confusing. And when I first was approached with kind of this topic as a question, I almost was offended because I, as I say, we're all human beings. And so does my body actually work differently than your body? Um, and I think that's what the implication is. That's the, that is the real cause of this. But the truth of the matter is that what is really different is that women of color are faced with different stressors at different times and all the time versus other races. And because of that, what we know is that menopause does is affected by how we are experiencing life. So two different things we find. The structural racism has had a very important part in menopause in, in African-American and women of color. We also know that because of structural racism, we have also been treated differently in the medical community. So not only physiologically are we under different stress, but guess what? 
we undergo hysterectomies, which is surgical menopause, more often and earlier than our counterparts. These are things that are not talked about, but I've experienced as a clinician since I was a baby doc. I would always wonder why my clients would come in and they would say, I had a hysterectomy and I'm looking at them going, why? And I asked the question and they have no idea. They have no idea. The reason being is that we have often been not given options and they have chosen to take uh, our fertility options away and our hormonal options away at earlier and earlier ages because just thinking that it wasn't important, not realizing that it is not only important to us, but it has an absolute impact on how we experience menopause. Now, when we know is that Caucasian women do not have hysterectomies as often as women of color do. If they do, they have them later in life. We know the same thing with Hispanic women, African-American women having the most, but Hispanic women are followed by that. What we do know is that when you have someone who goes through an early hysterectomy, then they are going to experience those vasomotor symptoms earlier as well. Um, one of the things I often look at is that people are really uneducated about the terminology. You go into surgery and you're not even sure um, exactly what you're getting done. And I'm sure that you've probably looked into the research of your country as well. When women go to have surgery, they're saying, I'm getting a total hysterectomy. And what total hysterectomy means versus partial hysterectomy has is two totally different things. They are assuming that they're just obviously getting their ovaries taken. And the truth of the matter is to take your ovaries is an oophorectomy versus a hysterectomy is when the uterus is taken. A total hysterectomy was when the entire uterus was taken, including the cervix. A partial meant the cervix was left in place. These are terminologies that women have gone through and that women of color have experienced for many decades now and really had no understanding about what was being taken out and what was taken from them. So that puts, pushes them into the active form of menopause where they're experiencing hot flashes, they're experiencing mood swings, they're experiencing anxiety and depression and changes in their sexual health. And it didn't necessarily have to happen. So that's happening earlier. And then when we talk about the actual structural racisms that happen and the reason why women are looked at in the hospital setting, in the medical community as less than human in a lot of terms is why we get overlooked on giving the choice of whether or not this should happen or not. I spoke to, a, I don't know whether you've heard of her, a journalist called Gabrielle Jackson about 18 months ago now. And she wrote a worldwide bestseller on what's it called, pain or prejudice, about how the medical industry as a whole is against women and they don't test the drugs on women. So <laughs> no idea how they're going to impact yes. women. Yes. And and then I'm, I, this is taking that a step further because it's yes. women of colour. And I was one of the delighted recipients of Pelvic Mesh and, and I know for a fact that the obstetrician, the gynecologist that operated on me tried something new because I ended up having to go to his mentor 
to try and correct what he'd done because he'd done exactly what he'd been told not to do. And it took three operations. Right. The last one was five and a half hours to get the mesh out. And I feel like a dog. <laughs> you know, he just experimented yeah. me. It, and had a lasting impact. That, I think, carries over more into your community than it does in my community, I've got to say. I'm just going to put that out Absolutely. there. <laughs> Absolutely. You're exactly right. There's been, historically, African-American women have been used for experimentation, for history upon history, and a lot of times in a negative way, not for the benefit. It's really just to see if the lack of treatment, we see, we saw it in our men as well with the Tuskegee experiment and syphilis. We, we sent, tend to be on the edge of what happens if we don't treat them or making the assumptions that they don't need treatment, or there's been studies that show that they don't feel as though African-American women feel pain in the same way. And so that they've been withheld for anesthesia and things like this. Even my own experience, having my own child, my firstborn had a C-section with her and it was an amazing experience. I love my OB, but after the delivery, I was in recovery and I woke straight up in the bed because they forgot to give me pain medicine post-op. So imagine sitting there with your abdomen, your pelvis cut open and waking up with no anesthesia because the supporting staff forgot to turn on my pain medication. So some would say it's just an accident, but that would be considered just torture to anyone else. Uh, and it was it, it, it's something I never had forgotten and understood that these things happen every day. They happen to women in labor. They happen to women who are needing the assistance of medical care, who are needing to understand more about um, treatment for cancer and definitely menopause. Even when you're in with your doctor, there may be times where you're supposed to be given options like bioidentical hormones, for for example, sexual health treatments. And they act as though either you can't afford those things or you wouldn't understand those things or it's just not something for a particular type of woman. And the truth of the matter is that all women deserve to know all the options. We all want to be vibrant, sexy, healthy women as we age. This is not something that any particular culture has a corner on. And we all deserve to, to have these options to age in a graceful and a beautiful way. It's really interesting because I think, <laughs> I can't actually imagine it. I don't feel like I got any information on menopause at all. I went to my GP and didn't know what was going on. I was just depressed and frazzled and feeling off, really heavy periods. And she gave me some antidepressants and some sleeping tablets and told me I'd be okay in a few years. <laughs> that was the sum total of what I was told. And that's and the normal conversation, yes. Just and it's something yes. that I'm really passionate about. That this is completely natural. It's like the it's the bookend of puberty. So what we went through in puberty right. on speed when we get older because we got that much more experience. And it, if somebody had just said that to me, I'd have got oh, got it. But it's not said, is it? 
Not at all. And you're, I loved the, the thought process of the bookend of puberty because we are so excited to get our periods, so excited to get our periods. And then we dread the whole process of having the period. And then it's time for the period to end and we are begging for it. But no one has the conversation about what it is to expect and that all people don't suffer too. Now that part is another thing. It's so interesting that I think if we knew more, we could also prepare better because I um, really understand that there's things that you can do naturally that you can do to help prepare yourself to go through this. There's things that you can do emotionally to help yourself prepare for this. There were th so many things that I taught um, before I started doing bioidentical hormone pelleting in my practice um, about mindfulness and meditation and how to control hot flashes with that. There were so many things that there's still to learn about as you go through menopause and the sexual treatments that people lose maybe it's the sensation if, as much they might want to have. So treatments like Cleavana that I do for uh, sexual re regeneration of the clitoral nerve stimulation there. There's so many things that aren't talked about that should be talked about to prepare us, to let us know it's going to be okay, that this is the best time of your life, that you can be hanging from the chandeliers if that's what you choose to do or rocking in a chair and just enjoying your life whatever it is you choose to do in menopause the, the sky's the limit the sky's the limit so in terms of go, let's go back to the cultural and race thing how is it different menopause isn't discussed by white women in general i'm just going to put that out there and it's something that i want to change because it's no different to puberty and i think that's where i was going meandering my way to before is that the same yeah. for women of color what are the cultural things here <laughs> around menopause what are the expectations I, I'll be honest with you. That's a great question because I don't think that's too much different. We don't have any ceremonial for African-Americans, ceremonial traditions going into menopause. I can honestly tell you my mother didn't say anything except I watch her suffer through it. So it wasn't great preparation. But what I did, because I'm clinically background, I really have been an observer of, I got the honor and the privilege. I knew my great-grandmother. So I knew my great-grandmother. I knew my grandmother, and then there's my mother who's still with us, right? So I watched these three generations of women go through life, stages of life. And the only one that I saw really suffer was my mother. So it was educational to me to see what's the difference in that. It had to be an observe observation because guess what? Nobody talked to me about it. Nobody pulled me aside and said, hey, listen, this is what's going to happen. So I had to really make an observation because if let my mother tell it, everybody's just going to die. <laughs> like They're going to die and we're going to burn up in, in, into a ball of, of personal summers. Whereas my grandmother and my great-grandmother, I never saw them suffering. So I didn't think that it was going to be a big deal. So that's even more confusing when you see women going through it differently and not knowing where you are going to fit in with that. What we can say is that you can pretty much depend, tell, determine where you're going to fall as far as when it'll start for you based on your family members. In their 50s, in their 40s, in their 60s, that's a good starting spot for people to understand where is it going to fall for you. Now, how 
you deal with it, how women of color deal with it, it really comes down to what your experience has been with your family members as far as if they're willing to talk about it or not. I don't think it's a secret, but I think because we haven't been given enough information or it hasn't been passed down enough, then we are still in the dark. And so we look towards a medical professional to hopefully give us some more information. And then we're still in the dark because they're not talking about it with us either. Except saying the things that you just spoke about. Take some antidepressants. It's just, You're just getting older. Get a little lubricant. Or maybe you just are, you're washed up. And nobody wants to hear that. Nobody. <laughs> it's funny, isn't it? Because there's, it, there's this bizarre stigma around menopause that it's wrong. It, there's just this feeling that it's wrong. It shouldn't be happening. And there is nothing good about menopause. <laughs> and I, yeah. I remember my older the older women in my family, they'd talk, oh, she's having women's problems. She's got women, yeah, down there. You know, it'd be like that. There'd be nothing actually, yes. actually said. You know, you've heard where people will say, oh, she's on her period. It's a negative. If you're having an emotional issue or you're having a, a time, oh, she's on your period. And our femininity, our stages of life have always been looked at in a negative way, instead of glorified for the fact that we are the ones that bring life into this world. We carry that life and we have to literally bring it through the birth canal. And so there's nothing about our stages that should be downplayed or looked at poorly because it's an honor to do what women get to do. And so therefore, as we progress in this in these stages, there's got to be honor in that, right? There's got to be some honor in, in, in that. And so it's unfortunate that the suffering that goes on is so connected to the dishonoring of the stage. And so I think as women and women of color, I think we want to get to the place where not only is the stage honored, but we're honored in it so that we can celebrate it just like other women are. And we hear now more and more conversation about options that are being talked about, uh, but it's almost in the alternative side and not on the side of majority health or uh, mainstream health. And my goal is to push us all the way into we are mainstream. All things are mainstream because the truth of the matter is there's a lot of options out there for us. And it should not be something that is just held close and tight. And only certain women are, are allowed to hear what all those options are. I don't even know women that get to hear those options very often. It's just not something that is discussed and it's not I, the bioidentical hormones that you're talking about. I'm really not sure about those things. And I know that we tend to, as women, we tend to downplay everything. So I know somebody who yeah. had periods for three weeks out of four, and I'm talking periods to the point of where she was using maternity pads. And she was like that for years oh before she went to see a doctor and wondered why she was exhausted and drained. It's <laughs> like, dude, <laughs> go and talk yes. to somebody. Yes. Yes. But it's unlike with endometriosis as well, we tolerate so much with and, and don't actually find when the, the, the information isn't readily available for us to empower ourselves, is it? 
No, it's not. And I think that one of the things that would be helpful is if we talk to across cultural lines as well, I will tell you the most enlightened that I re information I received as I was trying to figure out my own journey, because I had uterine fibroids and had horrible cramps throughout my teenage years and 20s uh, as a med student, as a resident. I remember getting nauseated and having headaches and almost passing out because I too had such horrible and, and long and, and bad periods and didn't know exactly what I, what to do about them. I found out that I had fibroids and what could I do? I was in school and moving around and I was married and while I was in school and there were so many things going on. I really didn't still, as I'm in med school, didn't have any answers to how to stop what was going on. When I talk about going across cultural lines, it wasn't until I went to see an acupuncturist that I really started understanding why. And now looking back at the statistics that I know as far as why African-American women and, and white women and even Asian women all look at this thing of menopause in a different way. It's because culturally we look at things differently. We manage our stress differently. We manage how we are managed in the world is differently. Um, I was taught by the acupuncturist um, about how balance in our lives has a lot to do with how we manage our feminine ALTs, if you will, such as uh, menstrual pains and cramps and bleeding and fibroids. And our bodies really develop these things and in a bad way or these symptoms in a bad way when we really are not truly balanced in our lives not balanced in our work. We talk about work-life stress and how that can have an impact on our lives and our health. And that really is so true when we're talking about women's health as well. And I was able to do a lot of work with women doing, as I said before, mindfulness and meditation for myself, getting more balance in my life. I went through a divorce. There were so many things that had to clear out of my life so that I could actually really start taking better care of me. And that's one of the things I think of women um, of color and otherwise, that when there's not balance, you're gonna find more disease, you're gonna find more problems, you're gonna find more struggle going through menopause. And we have to start talking to each other about where we are, what's going on and what we need and what we're suffering with so that we can get that balance and find out where we're more similar than we are different. Talk to me, I just wanna go back to something you said a while ago and I didn't pick up on it. You were saying something like, the stresses of the ongoing, I don't know whether you said racism, I'm going to put that word in there, compounded everything that women of colour experience with regards to their health and well-being. Just talk to me about that. So we call it, it's, it's called structural racism. So structural racism really deals with how the society puts a certain race in a situation so that it's so normal for them to be treated or mistreated in a certain way that it's not really even looked at as abnormal. It's just become such a norm. For example, for women to go into the hospital and be waiting in a waiting room and who's going to wait in the waiting room in an emergency room longer, if like a pregnant woman who's in labor, it would be a woman of color. Who's going to wait longer to get pain medication? It would be a woman of color. Who's going to be someone who is not spoken to about what their options are as far as saving organs? It's going to be a woman of color. Those are the structural things that are put in place that we don't often actually blatantly talk about, 
but they're so there and they're passed down generationally. So it becomes the norm. And that type of stress and that type of neglect is what perpetuates healthcare in particular for not being adequate, much less exceptional for women of color and people of color. And we find this happening all across our country and it's happening more. And it seems just like you were speaking about when we were off air, just about how it doesn't make sense in this day and age in 2023 that anyone should be treated differently. Everyone should be given the opportunity. Everyone should be given the information, the most modern up-to-date information options and let them decide what is okay once being educated, not presume to get less than because of the structural racisms that are in place that assumes that you won't understand, you don't have the money to take the therapy, or you just are not qualified. Or you know what, I'm just not interested in having that conversation with you because of the color of your skin. And it happens, unfortunately, too much. Uh, yeah, um, th- I, I hadn't heard of structural racism until a few weeks ago. Um, <laughs> when I started reading about it, I was like, oh, holy cow. And as I was saying to you before, it, it's like trying to explain to men that they're sexist and what they're saying is sexist. Yes. The same thing yes. is applied to people of colour and it's difficult to see because you're in it. And it's the same in Australia with definitely with the Indigenous population, I can see it, or or First Nations people, as I can see that. And what is there, I suppose I want to say what what can be done about it? How can we move this forward? How (laughs) I am a bit stuck other than getting the conversation out there because it's just appalling. And if I I can't see it, then other people can't. Yeah, and, 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 and structural racism is just that. It's so in your face that you really, you have to do exactly what you're doing. Just taking a look at your, at, at self first. What's my part? Where where do I fit into this? And And having conversations like this where we can really look at things and not stop the conversation once it gets uncomfortable. As physicians, it is important that we start training for more cultural sensitivity understanding that it's um, taught in our institutions that we need to be more sensitive when there's someone who is a different culture than yourself, who, who you come upon and understanding and learning that culture and understanding that what you may consider normal for you may not be normal for someone else. And that by not educating yourself, not taking the time to find out what is a sensitive issue for another culture is part of racism. It's the part of having the power to say that what I feel is more important than what you feel. And that's where power and racism um, cross lines is that you're using the power as a physician. We have so much power over situations. And when we don't Um, use that power for good versus evil, people get hurt and harmed. Uh, Neglect happens. So we have to start having conversations. We have to start teaching at the the medical school level what to look for, how to self-examine, what our own biases are, and then actually teach against those biases. Letting people know, giving them tools to say, although I was raised a certain way, this is the way I need to, to handle and this is the way I need to be sensitive to another person. And that's what we are, people, instead of just 
um, looking at situations as, well, that type of person won't need this or that type of person won't need that. Because if you don't look for it, you are not going to find it because you're going to keep on doing what you've always done. You're going to stick your head under a rock because you're comfortable in your own placement in society. It's important that we get uncomfortable with where we are in society and start really learning about how others work and live and really respecting those things, those differences. I think that's how we make a change. This is really great because as you're talking, I'm thinking when you go to a medical practice over here, one of the boxes that you have to tick is, are you of Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander origin? Not are you Hispanic, are you African, are you European, just are you Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander. That in itself, I can understand why they ask the question, but it immediately separates you and it immediately brings on all of this other perspective. Like why is why would they say that? Just explain. <laughs> can you explain that yes. to me? I can't explain to you what that choice is, but what your but the general preface is this. The premise is this: is that we know differentiations happen on that line. We know differentiations happen on that line, and that is the reason why that line is not acceptable. We even hear in America the glomerular filtration rate for so long was divided just recently in the last year was divided about African-American and non-African-American as if our kidneys work differently, as if it's okay for African-Americans to have worse kidney disease for longer. It's not okay. So one of the things that we have to realize is that when we let processes that are stressful to the body go longer, there is disease at the end. Perfect example is that the SWAN study was specific about trying to differentiate different cultures and find out what the difference between different cultures in, in, in the healthcare system. So what we what they found was even in there trying to decipher this out, they still kept African-American Hispanic women out. But what we find is that if we're looking at, let's say, menopause symptoms, and you, if you were to study it more specifically, they find that um, having menopausal symptoms such as hot flashes and night sweats for longer periods of times leads to cardiovascular disease. This is period, regardless. Now, if you say then that African-American and, and women of color suffer longer, go into menopause earlier and suffer in menopause longer, then therefore there would be a number one cause why African-American women are suffering with heart disease even more than other cultures. So it's not as though it doesn't matter when you separate people out and you try to, and not for benefit, but for negative or neglect, then you're making people actually lose out on healthcare. We're actually de decreasing their livelihood, their livelihood. So I'm not okay with, as you're discussing, us being separated, those, those checkbox being done that really do a cultural separation versus something that's actually going to benefit the healthcare system. Like I'm going to treat you in a certain better way because I know that I'm looking for this thing. We haven't proven that's what we do with that information. It's usually used to separate who gets therapy and who does not get therapy. So there's no good reason for, for that question to be on your question on your questionnaire or on ours. No, it's you, you've got the which gender are you, male or female? But if there's going to be an issue with 
something because I know that there are certain things that impact certain races more than others. But why haven't you got all the boxes for all the potential races so that what the potential problems are for anybody? It's, right. So yeah. if you're gonna if you're gonna do it for to show that you're actually really choosing to help or benefit because there's something special that you want to add to the treatment process, but we've seen that there's not anything special we're adding to the treatment process. It's really a neglectful to separate you out to say, oh, okay, if you're not that, then we probably would treat you in a certain way different than we would the others, but without having that written down, this is the best way that they can separate us and then therefore treat us separately and unequal. I'm finding that I'm wanting to shy away from this. I'm (laughs) finding that I don't want to hear it because it's so confronting. Very confronting. But if we don't take the time to hear it and we don't have the conversations like you and I are having, then guess what? Nothing will change. Nothing will change. And here we are, another five, 10 years goes by, and we have more disparaging numbers where that the communities are not still not getting better and more deaths unnecessarily. Deaths are occurring at a larger rate, and we could have done something about it. It is important that we get uncomfortable. All of us get uncomfortable and have these hard conversations. Is it the same in America with regards to menopause that there isn't much Oh, God. See, this is still tied in with this. So in Australia, until recently, menopause as a study was an optional extra on the medical degree. And it's one, it's one unit. (laughs) So our GPs are really informed about menopause. And it kind of ties in with what you're saying about, okay, so if menopause is an optional extra in terms of study and how to deal with it, then you got menopause in the different cultures and how it's impacted by your cultural background and the colour of your skin and anything else that you can think of. Because that's a whole different study in and of itself as well, isn't it? It is. It is. And I will say, honestly, that there was not a lot of information given on menopause during my my tenure in med school either. And even if I would dare say in residency, as I rotated through being family medicine, we rotated through all of the specialties and OBGYN was one of my favorites, truthfully. But as far as just sitting down and having true conversations about that stage and how women were should be treated or evaluated and and the special options that we had no and i actually came along you know during residency during a time when they were like put everybody on synthetic hormone replacement when you turn 50 just put everybody on it it's good for you so there really wasn't a lot of intricate conversation about options my patients were the ones that really introduced me to a lot of the options that we had. I remember a Hispanic patient who introduced me to yam jelly, which is a phytoestrogen that we they used to fight off hot flashes and night sweats. And I began to put that into my practice because it made sense and it worked. A natural ability to help the levels to, to support the estrogen levels in the body. So culturally, there are solutions that have been around for many years. Bioidentical hormone replacement has been around since the 1940s and was doing extremely well and has never really fallen out of favor because it's been a healthy option for many years, but just not talked about by many cultures. 
yeah, I, I think that it's more social economics that really bioidentical hormones kept, keeps people in the dark because social economics, it is not covered by insurance. And so therefore people will assume that either, either they don't know enough about it. And I'll say practitioners may not know enough about it, but they also may look at it as something that their clientele, um, because of the insurance or non-insurance status that they're under, can't afford it um, because it is something that is not controlled by the government standards. Um, and it is more under the, uh, what we call compounded pharmaceutical industry. So that may be something that's keeping people away from it as well. Yeah, we do. Personally, bioidentical hormones in Australia, I don't know anything about it. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. Oh, it's wow. never mentioned. So oh, we wow. could do a whole other podcast on that, but talk to me about that briefly. So there are, um, there's conventional synthetic hormones um, that came about in about the 1949, 1950s era um, that overshadowed bioidentical hormones. And what bioidentical hormones are is hormones that are derived from plants. And they're called bioidentical because they more closely match our genetic makeup of how our hormones are put together um, and from a chemical standpoint. And whereas the others are coming from other animal products or synthetic products that what's had been found is that those were more connected to cancer and the stimulation of cancer cells, whereas the bioidentical hormones, because they more closely mimic our own natural hormones, are found to be more effective, less in danger zones for people who are concerned about cancer, breast cancer, prostate cancer for men, and are absolutely, the pellets that we do are absolutely able to keep a hormone level a lot more stable, and so therefore the, the actual symptoms that they control for as far as menopausal symptoms of hot flashes, night sweats, mood swings, brain fog, sleep issues, uh, anxiety, all these different things, weight gain, um, sexual libido, they're all much more controlled in a much more steady state form. So when we're talking to women about those things, I love the fact that we have that as an option now to talk more openly about for, for all women. Yeah, I, I actually, I'm just looking at the time and we're going to have to finish up in a minute, but I actually would like to have another conversation with you because there's so many topics that we haven't covered here. And I haven't even talked about what it is you do yet. <laughs> I do, do apologise. <laughs> um, so... There's so much on the subject. There's so much to talk about. I would love to come back and we can really delve into some definite, more specific topics because there's so much to, there's so much when it comes to sexual health and women. And like we said, the vibrancy of women as they move forward uh, sexually in their, in our aging. Yeah. I really do a lot here with women in the States with uh, Cleovana. When we talk about women really wanting to have a vibrant sex life, there's so much technology that is now available. Uh, the Cleovana that we do here, it really does work for sexual regeneration, not only just for feeling more vibrant sexually, but it helps with bladder control, which is also part of menopause. It helps with lubrication for vaginal lubrication, which is also uh, a complaint that women have for menopausal air, uh, time of life. So there's so many things that we do that, that we really need to get more information out so that women do not suffer and that they can be their best selves during the almost, we would say, the best part of the whole journey. Let's have another conversation about that because it is fascinating. And I have, this conversation has been invaluable for me personally. And I've 
got to thank you for your patience and kindness in and willingness to actually talk to me about this because it's yeah it's an interesting challenging topic to cover so tell us briefly how people can get in touch with you and then we'll finish the conversation and we'll arrange another episode (laughs) so we can talk about sex health absolutely actual because uh, I do want to talk to you more about those bioidentical hormones because that's yeah I don't know anything about that yeah so need to find out about that well, absolutely well Karen once again thank you so much for for the invitation as we said I am a board certified family medicine physician here in right outside of Atlanta Georgia I do wellness comprehensive wellness programs for women and men and children I like to build programs to let people know where their deficits in their health are and to let them know and for women and children and men who just want to be healthier and not have to depend on medications to do because I am board certified in family medicine I know how to do medications, but I also know how to get people, empower people to get off of medications and to live their best lives. And hormone balance is part of that. So we do that hormone balancing, um, including thyroid here at Deep Rooted Health and Wellness Med Spa in Lawrenceville, Georgia. And uh, we really enjoy just taking care of the whole person. So thank you so much for the opportunity to talk. And I look forward to further conversations. It's been wonderful. Thank you. I shall us at www.deeprootedhealth.com com or dot or excuse me you can find all of those contact details on the web page that goes with this episode and in the show notes and so please get in touch with monica she's pretty amazing i think if you enjoyed this episode be sure to subscribe and rate and review this podcast and share it with your friends and don't forget if you've been thinking how great it would be to have your own podcast so that you can interview guests and speak to people about the topics that you're interested in personally head on over to speakuppodcasting.com to find out just how easy and cheap it is for you to start podcasting there's a download on how to start a podcast for free waiting there for you thank you so much for listening i'll see you next time